there's certain passages that uh, I don't look forward to preaching. And then there are passages that I look forward to preaching. And uh, this is one of the ones that I look forward to preaching. Because um, this is going to sound a little weird at first. I love it when Jesus doesn't make any sense to me. Because it's at the moments where he doesn't make sense to me that I am probably the most sure that he's God. When, when I completely understand everything, well, that means that it's something that I can get and such. But if he's really God, which, and I'm saying if here is, as in since he's really God, then there should be moments where I'm like, whoa, what in the world is that? And this is one of those. Now, this is not specifically because he's God. This is specifically because he was uh, a, a man who was living 2,000 years ago. And so there should be differences between what he says and how we would say things. And this is one of those passages. Uh, because Jesus probably calls a woman a dog. And, and if I said that in church, well, I was going to show a photo tonight. And I, I ran it past my feminist wife uh, to make sure... Uh, and then, then she doesn't know this, but I still put it on Twitter tonight because I was like, this is just funny. Because I'm like, this will make sense. But I was like, I need to make sure it's not insulting everybody. And she's like, oh, that'll pretty much insult everyone because it's basically this photo. And the guy says, I sent my dog and my wife to obedience school. I bet that, or I guess that paid off. And the images of the dog, or the dog seated in a chair and the wife has a newspaper in her mouth. Um, <laughs> so that's why I... Yeah, I guess so. But that's why, because I was saying it's a bad thing. I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to be sleeping. I have a futon, so I'll be sleeping on the futon tonight. I don't agree with it. It was going to convey the point. So Adam's going to operate the scripture for me behind behind me. There's also scripture on the piece of paper in front of you. If you're one of these smartphone people, then uh, Wesley's pointed out there's a version app and there's an event for that. And you can actually have the scripture just pop up in front of you. And then your phone can slowly take control of your brain <laughs> through the Bible. <laughs> so, um, and I think it's page 713 in the Tapestry Bibles. This is what the word of the Lord says. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. Now, I'm going to read the scripture again, but I I want you to pick up on that. Uh, Some of us in this room were raised in church where we were taught how to to evangelize. Okay, Those of you who've heard that term before, what in the world does that mean? Tell people the good news. We, we turned into this very specific thing. But literally what it's supposed to mean is telling people the good news. So somehow or another we, we were taught you have to know a technique to tell people the good news of what Jesus has done in your life. We don't do that with anything else. But in the church people decided you have to have these plans. And they're the, like the Roman road which is all these verses of scriptures from the, uh, the letters to the Romans. Or you have this four step plan and such. But here's the beauty of it. When Jesus is in a house, it's really hard to keep the the good news from getting out there. The verse of scripture here literally says Jesus went to a place where people wouldn't know him. And what happens? Can't help it. And we'll talk about why he went to a place that people didn't know. So here it is again. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep 
his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syria, Phoenicia. Uh, She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and she found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, guys, here's what I love about the scripture. One, Jesus may have referred to a woman as a dog. And that, for me, I mean, you know my wife. I am married to a feminist. I'm married to a feminist who is a really good cooker of soup and quilts, which is an oxymoron, which makes me love her all the more. <laughs> okay, I've never been around feminists that are like, we're going to quilt! But, I'm sorry, I like you, okay? Um, so it, it catches me off guard. Uh, as a youth minister, I was really kind of griped because so much of youth ministry is just focused on guys. And, and the mindset was, do guy activities, do guy activities, and then the girls will come. So we would do all these guy activities and the girls were left off on the side of the road. So, so the youth ministry that I was a part of, I talked to some ladies and was like, we should do something for the, the ladies, but I have no earthly idea what to do. I'm not a very, I'm probably not in touch with my feminine side, okay? I, I like to hunt. I like to fish. Um, I do like Downton Abbey. <laughs> it's kind of scary, but I do like Downton Abbey. Um, <laughs> So I, maybe I am more in touch with my feminine side than I think. Because I like Jane Austen too. That's scary. Maybe I could have done it. Anyhow, I got the ladies to do a feminar. And it was just this entire thing for, for the ladies. And they came up with this plan. They were like, we're going to do a fashion show together and a Bible study. And we're going to do crafts. And when they told me this, I thought, this is going to be the biggest flop we've ever had. And instead, it was probably the best thing that I've ever done, and I had nothing to do with it, which is probably how we should do things as church, okay? I should not touch anything we did. I mean, they baked things, and then they had Bible studies on on how valuable women were and all this stuff. And I'm just like, you don't do a fashion show in youth ministry. And they did. Yes, sir, Jacob. About the price of a donkey, typically, is what you would rate them at. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because when we approach Scripture, we approach it with this in mind. Now, this is worldview. Some of you have heard of a worldview before. Some of you haven't. What is a worldview? How you look at things. It is the ideas and the concepts and the values that affect the way we look at things. All of us have a worldview. Most of our worldviews are very similar to one another. Because we live in a Western society. The way we see something will be influenced by that worldview. You want an interesting perspective? We are in the midst of an election. Talk to somebody who's staunchly Republican and somebody who's staunchly Democrat and have them look at the exact same thing and how are they going to see it? Yes, because they're looking through their worldview. So think of the worldview not like this, though that's a world uh, image that's been wrapped on itself, but like this, glasses. The glasses you look through tint the reality. And the thing is, is we can't look at reality without these. We are born with them. We've been raised with them. But by recognizing them, we 
kind of downplay some of them a little bit. So we are reading Scripture as 21st century Western people. We can't help it. So for me, when I read the Scripture, the first thing that pops in my mind, well, here, I'll give you a perspective, actually. Let me change that. Uh, here's an example of worldview that I just heard about, actually, I think through, through you, Pamela, um, talking about how different people view adventurous things now. That there's some people on tour things that say that one time people would come up and they would climb on top of the mountain and when they got on top of the mountain, what would they do? Thanks, Robert. They would, they would sit there. I'm not sure if I hit the five seconds or not. I tried. Uh, they would sit on top of the mountain and they would look at the, the view and enjoy the view. Now what happens if you climb on top of a mountain? What do you do? Yeah, you take a picture on your phone, you send it to Twitter, you send it to Facebook. Now, this perspective that I heard about was like, oh, how terrible it is. But it actually reflects different values. See, why would you put it on Facebook? Because you want your friends to see what has happened. That's really not a bad thing. What you're saying is, what's most important to me about an experience is that I share it with someone else. The other perspective was, I want to sit there and enjoy it. They're both good, but they come from us having different worldviews. Your worldview is always changing. Your worldview is always adapting. And it, it helps us to see things, but it also tints the way we see those things. So let's talk about this. When, when I read this verse of Scripture as a 21st century Western person, I have one question that pops in my mind immediately. And I've said it multiple times, and that is, did Jesus just refer to this woman as a dog? Because this woman comes begging for her daughter to be healed from an evil spirit that is possessing her. I think all of us would agree in this room, that's a good thing. And Jesus' response to her is, it is not good to take the food away from the children and give it to the dogs. So who would be the dog in this story? The Greek woman. Did you say what? <laughs> you can't change the story, Jan. <laughs> There's no man in there. All right. And by the way, before I get any further, when you look for woman and dog on Google, and I use safe search to prevent me from seeing things I don't want to see, um, this is an image that pops up. And I'm just going to say you should never do this at all. Okay. That's just wrong in so many ways. Am I blocking you, Katie? Oh, Katie, you have a small dog. Don't do this. That's wrong. Okay, good. That makes me respect your dog a little more. <laughs> Did you just say in case she slips, it offers good protection? Her dog is a cushion? <laughs> that takes the image of man's best friend to an entirely different perspective. <laughs> she gave her life for me because I fell. Um, guys... When I read the scripture, I, literally the first thing that pops up is I start going, I can't believe Jesus referred to her as a dog. But for an ancient Near Eastern Jew who was hearing this story, that question would not pop up at all. At all. One, because you and I don't understand the Aramaic that Jesus would have been talking here. Uh, but in, in the Greek here, the little dog here is referred to as not like a vicious, weird dog, but as a pet. And so it's more of an analogy. Jesus is not saying, you're a dog. He's saying, hey, like, all right, most of you know, I love my dogs. But what type of parent would I be if I was like, Adam, Noah, it's a choice between giving you food or giving Rue and Montana. Those are my basset hounds. Uh, just so you know, that's Montana. 
That's Rue. Rue. R-O-U-X. It's a Cajun term. But if I said, Adam, Noah, I kind of like you, but I'm giving the food to my dogs, you wouldn't think I was a very good parent. So Jesus is not referring to her as a dog, but he's making an analogy of, I'm supposed to go to Israel. I'm supposed to go to the people who are considered the children of God. The tribes of the Hebrew nation. And it's not right for me to go to anywhere else. But if we were ancient Near Eastern Jews, we would not even question enough to say, what is Jesus meaning by this dog thing? Our first questions wouldn't be that at all. Instead, our first question would be, Jesus went where? This is, this is a, a map of the ancient Near East. Israel is basically right there and right there. Technically, that's Gal- Galilee and Judea. But the, the biblical Israel of the Old Testament is kind of right there. And it does spread out during the reign of, of David and Solomon, I guess, right there. Um, but we would be thinking, why in the world is Jesus where he is? To give you an idea, this is the only trip where Jesus goes outside of the biblical Israel. Okay, so I just zoomed into the map. There's Galilee. If you look up here, there's Tyre, and that's Sidon. So this region is where we know that Jesus went. He went to his only visit outside of biblical Israel. And we know why he went there. Scripture said it. Why did he go there? To get away. To escape. He went someplace where he didn't think anybody who would, know, would know who he was. And this would have sent a huge message to his disciples and to anybody who was Hebrew. Because he went someplace out of Israel. Here, this is this is tradition. So traditions come out of out of things that people actually did, but we don't technically have a, a historical example of this. But the tradition is this: if I'm going to go back here, if you lived in Galilee, but you needed to go down to Judea and Jerusalem, which would have been about right there, uh, if you needed to go there to visit the temple, what would be the fastest way to go from there to there? To go straight. But if you were a good Jew, you wouldn't do it because of this land right here. This land right here is a group of people that would have been considered half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. And therefore, they weren't that good. And people would literally walk around it to get to there. Now, if that's what they do with the half-breeds, think of what they would do with the full non-breeds. I don't know what else to call them. (laughs) Gentiles. I mean, they would not have wanted to go there at all. And yet Jesus goes, oh, I'll go up here. Our first question, or at least my first question is, oh my gosh, did Jesus just refer to this woman as a dog? A a good Jew's first question would have been, why in the world did he go there? Why in the world would Jesus go there? Doesn't he know they're not Jewish? Jewish. And then they would have had another question that would have popped up afterwards. And that would have been, doesn't he know that she's a woman? You don't talk with women. This whole story is Jesus, well, doing what he talked about earlier. We've been talking about this for a while. This is what Andy talked about last week. He says, you know, don't you know that it's not what, uh, what 
uh, what you put into you that, that makes you unclean. But as far as a good Jew was concerned, everybody in the, the region of Tyre was unclean. Ladies, even if you were a good Hebrew, if you married, uh, married a man, the rabbis taught that there was really no need for you to pray because your prayers didn't really count for much anyhow. Your husband's prayers were effective. Yours were pretty much useless. See, from an ancient Near Eastern perspective, they would have gone, I cannot believe that Jesus is talking to anybody in that region and I cannot believe he's talking to a woman. I love the fact that Jesus takes their perspectives and I think he still takes ours and he just kicks them in the butt over and over and over again. Jesus teaches, oh, don't you know, it's not what, comes, uh, what, what you put into you that makes you unclean to a group of people who think that people are born unclean. This is from the book of Leviticus. Uh, you can read the whole thing if you want. Uh, if you have the U version, I put the scripture up there. It's literally listing off things that are just completely unclean because of the fact that they are born this way. And I know I'm quoting Lady Gaga at this moment. And I'm quoting a song that just drives me absolutely nuts. Not because Lady Gaga sings it, but the whole image of you're born this way on anything. I always think we have choice. I always think we have choice. Uh, it just drives me nuts. But Jesus is talking to a group of people who thought that, I feel like I typically use this side of the room as the good side and this side as the bad side. So we're going to stick with that for tonight, okay? <laughs> but, but Jesus was talking to a group of people who were taught, you were born on this side of the room and therefore you're good. You, know, you guys might do a little more so you might be a little better and you guys might do a little less so you might be a little worse, but you're just good because of the way you were born and who you were born to and that's all there is to it. And you guys over here were just born in the wrong spot and it just stinks to be you because God hates you no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, you can thank me for it later by making me, making me food. <laughs> guys, do you, do you understand? I think I just lost my supper, didn't I? <laughs> Do you understand, though, from, from their perspective, how Jesus literally takes their, their, their view of what is right and what is wrong, and he crushes it? I love that about Jesus. And to be completely honest, it scares me when he doesn't do that to me. See, the Hebrews of their day thought they had God's plan down spot on. And Jesus is like, no. I didn't tell you that certain animals were clean and certain animals were unclean so that you would all think they were evil. They were created by a good God. Snakes are not evil. They may have been unclean and you wouldn't want to eat them as a part of worship, but they're not evil. The Hebrews were treating people as though they were evil just because they were born 30 miles up the road. Kind of like we treat Wisconsin Rapids. <laughs> Jacob, you are on tonight, buddy. <laughs> Guys, Jesus was trashing their worldview, and I love it, and I, I hope he does it for mine. So, what does that mean? Well, Jesus doesn't think you're born a certain way and therefore evil. Jesus doesn't think that, that you are evil because you don't go to church or 
or good because you do go to church. Jesus doesn't think that, that there's anything that you have done in the past that would automatically negate you. I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to in my lives who just thought, God can never forgive me. Sometimes for things that I think are laughable, like God can't forgive you because you drank Diet Coke once instead of Diet Pepsi. I mean, stupid things, and yet people think, oh, God hates me for this. God loves. God forgives. God passionately loves and passionately forgives. And he also loves it when we, when we get in a fight with him. Here's what I mean. Well, okay, this is just for the fun of it. I, I forgot about this photo. Could you pull the lights down so everybody can get the full effect? That will sear into your brain tonight, folks. It is fantastic, isn't it? Actually, it's a kiwi. So, all right, you can bring the lights back up. Sometimes I see photos and I just go, I don't really care what the sermon's about. I'm using the photo. Did I block it for you, Aaron? No. <laughs> but here's the irony is it still works. <laughs> born to fight, born to fish. My favorite part was that uh, somebody earlier today was like, why is he wearing, uh, wearing an A-frame T-shirt? No, that's a tan. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. So, you're not born this way. You can be reborn this way, though. And, and the Lady Gaga song, when I say I, I hate this whole born this way thing, this is a side note. But if you look in society, there's a constant argument about whether or not we are determined to be a certain way or whether or not our choices make us a certain way. And I think Jesus actually takes both of these and he throws them away and he says, I can reclaim you and make you a different way. But that's a different story for a different night. Let's talk about this instead. Jesus says, hey, you don't take the food away from the children and give it to the dogs. And the Phoenician woman responds with this. She responds by taking what Jesus says and using it against him. Have you ever said something to someone and you thought, oh, that was a really good point. And then they take your point and they smash you in the head with it. And you're like, oh, I hate it. As a parent, I can tell you the thing I hate, I hate the most is when, when my kids use my words against me. It drives me absolutely nuts. Um, Noah's not in the room, so I can talk about Noah. Noah will play video games, and I'm a real big, big person on you don't quit. You don't quit. And he'll be playing this uh, video game on Xbox Live, and so he's playing with other people on a team. I'm like, you never quit the game. And then it'll be supper time. It'll be like, hey, it's time for supper. Noah's like, but you told me never to quit the game. I don't believe in child abuse. <laughs> but uh, it drives me nuts. And yet this woman takes Jesus' words and she uses it against him. So how should Jesus respond? He should be like, shut up! I'm the Messiah! Lightning! I mean, I, you know, you just think he should be like, no, I'm the Messiah. Get in your place! But instead the scripture says, he says this. And the thing I love is what he says moves him to action. Yeah. 
for such a reply. He says the reason he moves to action is because of her reply. Because of the fact that she gets in this verbal banter with Jesus. He's like, well, you know what? I wasn't going to do anything. But now I'm going to. You don't? All right. I'll jump back on it a little bit, okay? Because I can guarantee you Jesus is not re- referring to her as a dog. Go for it. Please, Jan. What? Okay. I'll get back to it. Um, I love the fact that Jesus doesn't respond to her talking back to him by saying, shut up. But instead by going, well, I'm going to move now. I'm going to go ahead and act. See, at the time, the worldview was Jesus shouldn't be talking to this woman at all. Jesus shouldn't be talking to anyone in Tyre or Sidon at all. And the way you respond to the Messiah is by falling down and that's it. And she does fall down. If you look, it says she lays prostrate. She falls down before him. She bows before him. But she talks back to him also. Why would you talk back to the Messiah? You're desperate. Yeah. But there's another reason also, because I think you're right. Uh, maybe he was testing her. I heard that one. The, they, they were, y'all were bouncing at the same time. so She's ticked off, maybe. Why would she be ticked off? Because I think that's the real key here. Yeah. Because you only get mad if you think he really can do something and he's not. If I say, hey, Jan... I'd like you to go buy me a Ferrari right now. And then you don't. And I get mad. Well, that's kind of stupid if I don't think Jan can go out and buy me a Ferrari right now. Versus if she does verbal banter with him, maybe it's because she really believes he can make a difference. Yeah. Think of it with kids again. Think of, of with your parents or with your children how when they ask for something and then they ask again and again and again and again and again and again and you're obnoxious at that point and you're driving your parents nuts, it's because you believe they actually can do something. I wonder sometimes if when we pray and we say, Jesus, would you do this and nothing happens, if we stop, that has more to do with us not really believing Jesus can do anything about it than it does with him saying no. She badgers Jesus. And I think the reason being is because she believes that he actually can do something about it. Now, before I get to the the last point of this, well, okay. I actually think this is how Jesus kind of responds to to her because the sense here is not that he puts her in in her place, but instead she goes, well, that's kind of awesome. Or excuse me, he goes, well, that's kind of awesome. I love the fact that Jesus probably responds to her going, but wait, <laughs> even the dogs get crumbs by going, I like that. Matter of fact, you see it actually quite often. Uh, there are lots of times in, in the New Testament where someone is told to stop and they, they not only don't stop, but they shout louder. And Jesus goes, well, I'll take care of them. There's a group of blind men that are causing a ruckus saying, son of David, please have mercy on us. And the disciples are saying, shut up. Shut up. And instead they shout louder, which is awesome. Okay. Makes me think of a bunch of Wisconsin people. It's like, you know, stop being unruly. No, we'll just get worse. And they start shouting louder. And Jesus goes, oh, what do you want from me? 
It happens again and again and again where people pester him and he doesn't respond like, why don't you just leave me alone? But instead he goes, oh, I like that. I think Jesus responds to us badgering by going, that reflects trust. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Or like, or yeah, yeah, escalating like that. Like it's, it's the, the amount to which you're you're willing to get louder and proportionate to the amount of, yeah, the amount of trust is actually. Yeah, and maybe we don't get loud because we don't really trust him. When he's up there going, hey, come on, ask me more. <laughs> now, guys, here's what I want you to get in your mind. Is, is three things. Okay, One, well, here, we'll skip that one for right now. One is this. Jesus doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what you've done in your past. He doesn't care what you did yesterday. He is not looking at you and saying, I'm sorry, you're not worthy. And maybe for some of us in the room, what's more important is he's not looking at our friends and our family and saying, you'll just never be good enough. Jesus Christ loves people. He loves the people that the church loves. He loves the people that the church hates. At this moment, what he was doing for this woman was was he was loving someone that the, the church of his day It wasn't technically the church because the church didn't exist until after uh, Jesus' resurrection. But the Hebrew faith of his day said he should reject and he should walk away from. He shouldn't even talk to her. He should just ignore her. And Jesus not only talks with her, but he respects her enough to get in the midst of verbal banter with her. You only have banter with somebody that you respect. You don't have verbal banter with somebody who, who you don't care about. Jesus didn't care that she was born in Tyre. He didn't care that she was Greek and he was Hebrew. He didn't care that she was a woman. What he saw was somebody who was in need and was desperate enough not to be stopped by anything. He didn't see her as a dog. He used a reference to maybe spark her faith a little more. He saw her as a woman who cared for her child so much that he could not help but respond to her when all he had wanted to do was get away for a little while for peace and quiet. See, at the time, she was a woman and she should have been rejected, but instead what Jesus saw was, I went up here for vacation. I went up here to get away. I am tired. I need to be alone. But this woman's faith is so great that I'll interrupt anything to help her. He loved her. He loves you. He loves your friends. He loves your family. And He wants to know them. Here's the next thing. I think Jesus responds to great faith. Not that our faith is what makes us uh, okay. okay. I've heard faith healers who are like, your faith is not great enough. No, 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 no. He responds to people who are not willing to take no for an answer and who keep on badgering. 
That Luke 18, 1 through 8 is a story Jesus tells about prayer where he basically says, hey, you should pray like this woman who was uh, trying to get an evil judge to do something. God's not an evil judge, but what this woman would do was would badger this, this judge. And he's like, pray like that where you just won't take no for an answer. God loves you no matter who you are and God responds to great faith. And then here's the next thing. God should rock our image of the world every now and then. God should make us question things. God should make us respond by saying, well, Jesus wouldn't respond like that every now and then because if he doesn't, then we have a very understandable and a very easily grasped Jesus. And Jesus should not be easily grasped. He should make us every now and then respond with, oh my goodness, what do you think you're asking of me? Oh my goodness, there's no way I could ever live that way. And the problem is, Quite often in church, we never respond that way because we hear a Jesus who's nice and tame and manageable. The Jesus of Scripture is not manageable. The Jesus of Scripture is not nice. (laughs) And yet quite often we treat him that way. So before I end, anything that needs to be added? Did I kind of hit on the dog a little bit? Okay, not at all? Can can we talk afterwards? Okay. Um, But I will tell you this. I think it's really okay if we don't understand all the time. Uh, Mainly because I don't think he's really God if we do always understand. So guys, maybe you felt like, I'm not worthy. Or maybe you felt like, hey, I've asked God once, but I haven't asked him many times. Or maybe you felt like Jesus has just been way too easy recently. And you need to respond. So we're going to sing. We're going to sing to the God who hopefully changes our world quite a bit. Pray with me and then let's sing. Jesus, uh, help us to see you act in love all the time and help us to be a part of it. Help us to have great faith in you to, to continue asking and not take no for an answer. Because we trust that you can do things and change our world. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'll be in the back if you need somebody to pray with or if you want to talk with somebody.